We have so many unemployed people now. This is what I'm really concerned about, is how are we gonna bring our economy back on board when we have people who don't have money to spend? And so I've been spending a lot of my kind of dream thought energy visioning how we want this to go. And I think for that reason, it will be even more important for us to have more biking and walking opportunities for people to get from their residences to these places where we want them to spend money. Hi, this is John Zimmerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your host for the Active Towns Podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. So wonderful to have you along for the ride. Before we get started, I wanted to say that I am dedicating this episode in the memory of Chris Kuczynski, who was the driving force involved with the Making Healthy Places initiative within the CDC. Chris passed away from a severe bacterial infection. It's been a couple years since we last spoke live on the phone, but he was always supportive of my efforts with Active Towns and so conscientious about sharing a variety of health and the built environment programs and initiatives and articles with me via email. He will be sadly missed, but his legacy in helping to create healthier communities will live on forever. I think Chris would have really appreciated this conversation that I have in store for you in this episode with Amanda Popkin. So without further delay, let's get this rolling. This is John with the Active Towns Initiative, and I am delighted to have Amanda Popkin from the Dallas area online with me here today. Amanda, how are you? Hi, John. Thanks so much for inviting me on. I'm so happy to chat with you about things, especially in this during weird COVID times. It's been a real joy to touch base with other professionals and kind of check in on how things are going. Amanda, you are the principal owner of Amanda Popkin Development. Uh, you are a firm that specializes in economic uh, development via placemaking and community engagement and building resilient neighborhoods and cities. Tell us a little bit more about your firm. Well, I started a placemaking firm with some good friends um, years back and ended up creating Amanda Popkin Development to focus more on the community engagement aspect of things and the economic development aspect of things. That's where my expertise really lies right after I finished grad school. I worked for the City of Dallas Economic Development Department for six years and got a really good understanding of kind of what I think is broken about the way we typically do economic development. The city of Dallas does an amazing job and basically was the chamber for the city of Dallas at the time. And I was running the website and really helping do some incredibly forward thinking things for our city. But it really drove home to me that we needed to spend more time on public spaces and especially active transportation. So when I started my firm, that's really what, what I wanted to focus my message on. So I've ended up doing a lot of different types of projects over the years. Most of them have to do with community engagement in some realm, but I've done everything from working with an app that tracks your commute, your bike or walk, or uh teleconference commute. There's a lot of different ways that you can get points and then redeem them at local shops and encourage people to use active transportation more. To placemaking engagements, you and I worked on a, an incredible little parklet up in downtown Plano. We're also working with the city of Dallas to create the first pilot parklet program. Try saying that three times fast. And uh, we're just about, yeah, we finally got city approval. It's been uh, almost a year in the works here, <laughs> you know, city bureaucracy. I love that kind of stuff. Like having been a city employee, I understand that there are really good city staff people out there who want to do good projects. And sometimes they're just hamstrung by a city manager or a boss or, you know, just regulations that have been around for 15 years. And I really love kind of dissecting those difficult 
problems and figuring out how to simplify it, especially by bringing in other experts in the community and connecting with other groups that can help bring different perspectives to a project and really bringing folks together around an idea and incorporating some education about how this creates a more sustainable city and how it really helps us economically and socially, environmentally, and and really try to bring in all of those perspectives into whatever we're working on. We've built libraries and just got another call this morning for a really fun preservation project. So I end up doing all kinds of creative stuff, but it all kind of has that same vein in it. Let's go back to Plano. So it, it was a couple of years ago. It was in association with the Strong Towns Regional Gathering up there in Plano. I think Plano is a, a nice example to use because it's a, a suburban environment, you know, just north of Dallas. And, you know, so we had this little pop-up installation that I helped you out with. Why don't you tell the story of that particular installation and some of the critical learnings that sort of emerged out of that for you? Yeah, downtown Plano, I've had a long relationship with now, and I continue to work with their downtown on small activations They have a lot of really great events that they do throughout the year. And I grew up very close to there. So I'm really familiar with those older neighborhoods. It's kind of an inner rings suburb, kind of. It's mostly built out. It likes to think of itself as a very expensive town. There are some really nice houses. There's some great shopping. But there are also more exurbs that are newer and flashier and shinier further out. And so it's it's kind of... Dealing with some interesting issues, it also has a lot of really great assets, as you and I discovered, their historic downtown, which has really come back to life with lots of new development, is right near some of their great parks and trails, and they have a really great trail that goes practically through the entire city. So it was great to start building those relationships with some of the city staff and also the downtown community. And as I've continued the conversation about, you know, what can we do to support them and focusing more on active transportation and doing more placemaking in the downtown. They've got some interesting community dynamics that have, I think, impeded their ability to get things done in the short term here. So I've been keeping those relationships fresh and trying to keep tabs on where they're at and what their biggest needs are. I'm a real proponent that I want to be nimble for my clients and really be able to bring them the best tools for their problems. So I I spend a lot of time listening and really teasing out the things that people aren't saying about the dynamics that are going on that are influencing how things are evolving in cities. I think it's just really important to be sensitive to power dynamics, always personality dynamics and the stories that the community are telling about how the process is going and what we're working on. And so they recently had their comprehensive plan approved and there was a lot of pushback from the community about certain really forward thinking, awesome things that city staff had ended up putting in there, or I guess the consultants had put in there that there needed to be more conversations with citizens about what our, you know, our priorities as a city together are and kind of nail nail down some more things. But I mean, that's, that's a great community of a ton of cyclists, but it's mostly road warriors and weekend warriors that, you know, go out and ride 60 miles on country roads every Sunday. And that's a slightly different demographic than the young families and more vulnerable users that I try to incorporate into these projects. So we got great feedback. When we did our parklet, we hung out, I think it was Friday evening or was it Saturday evening after the the Strong Towns conference there and just had some really great conversations with folks. We partnered with Bike DFW and they do these these similar types of outreach events at markets and other types of events across DFW. And um, Heather, the head of Bike DFW right now, was telling me that it was basically the same conversations that she has with everyone. A lot of folks just don't even know where the trails are and don't know what's possible for for active transportation and um, living in a more active lifestyle in their areas. So she gets a lot of folks saying, where can I bike? 
we don't have any bike trails in my community. And she'll say, actually, here is our map of the regional Velo web. And there have been a lot of new connections there that have recently been funded or finished. So there's a lot of new trails out there that folks don't even know about. So it's been really cool to work with Bike DFW over the last few years and kind of use their experience reaching out into the DFW community and what they're encountering and the questions that they're hearing and where we need to be doing more education and how we can get people more educated about just what is out there. Similarly, if I can just segue into this COVID stuff, I feel like we're seeing a similar trend in terms of parks and trails that We've got two big, really well-known trails and parks in Dallas, the Katy Trail. Everyone who's anyone knows the Katy Trail in Dallas. And if you are anyone, you live near it and walk and run on it every day. And it's almost a see and be seen type of place. It runs through one of the most expensive neighborhoods of Dallas and the park cities. And then White Rock Lake is a huge, beautiful lake. I mean, Lakewood is one of the other really fantastic neighborhoods of Dallas where a lot of young families live and the schools. It's one of the first inner city neighborhoods in Dallas where their schools have gotten a lot better than a few decades ago. So I think it's natural that those were the two places that people gravitated to before we created this great need to be outdoors And of course, that's the place where a lot of folks are going to, you know, knee jerk reaction, let's go outside somewhere. It's a beautiful day. Let's get some fresh air. We're going to go to the Katy Trail or White Rock Lake. And those two are the places that are the most crowded right now. So it was interesting that D Magazine, our local where to do and what to go, a great little publication here, published a list of other trails that you can go to if the Katy Trail and the White Rock Lake are too crowded for you. So I thought that was really cool. And I, I think that's probably something I hope that sticks after this, you know, stay at home order is lifted. People will have fallen in love with other places in the city and found new favorite places to bike and walk and take the dogs, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know we'll revisit this topic again a little bit later in this episode, but I want to go back to Plano because I want you to actually describe for the listeners what we actually put on the ground and how that relates to a different future for our public spaces versus storage of a private automobile. Yeah, that was a beautiful installation that I don't think what you're mentioning was something that Plano residents and visitors to downtown Plano had really thought about. So our Strongtown's regional gathering picked downtown Plano because it's a great, vibrant little downtown and there's lots of places to eat and shop and great sidewalks and um, it's fairly vibrant. And the interesting thing is there isn't a lot of public space. And the little stretch that we picked for the event, we wanted to do something to really activate it and also to give the attendees an opportunity to be outside, feel like they're part of the downtown, be out in the downtown and the energy of it all, while also kind of bringing the conference with them, creating a space for folks to converse and bring the Strong Towns conversation to the street. So maybe we can bring in some new listeners into these topics that we were talking about at the conference. So it was really interesting that there is a plaza in downtown Plano. And it's a fairly good location, kind of next to the parking lot, but you don't feel that. But it's a quite large space. And it is fairly well used. They do a lot of great concerts and events there. And that's always where the stage is. And it's fairly central. It's not like a lot of the downtowns in Texas where they have the town square. There's no center to this district. It's got a couple of main streets that intersect. So this little plaza is a bit off the the main drag, but it's fairly central. It's also next to the railroad, which a lot of downtowns have railroads. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. It's the reason they exist, but it's also, if it's still an active railroad, can be somewhat of an issue for folks wanting to chat and feel safe <laughs> sitting right next to a railroad. So that's that's one space, but it's separated by a row of parking and it doesn't, it's kind of tucked away. So 
we decided to build this parklet directly visible from our indoor event space so that folks would be drawn out into the downtown and, you know, we're under a big, beautiful tree and we're right next to the sidewalk where people are walking by. When we were there Saturday night, we were right next to this great little restaurant bar and folks were standing outside waiting in line for their table and chatting with us and wanting to bring their pizza out and sit in our space and it was a cool opportunity to talk to folks about the different types of public spaces. We had two parking spaces that we put our green turf grass in. That always just makes it feel lively. And I really like using turf grass. It just kind of softens things a little bit, even though it's not alive. We did line the parklet with a lot of pretty green flowering little plants. And we had a nice bench. We had a big metal table, kind of an outdoor patio table and four chairs. We had a a smaller coffee table style table that had some of the books from Strong Towns sitting on it. And then we had a demonstration of bike parking. We were just beginning this parklet conversation. We got a grant from our regional council governments to build the first parklet in DFW. And so this was, in my mind, an opportunity to begin our community outreach, even though we hadn't actually begun the grant, but to start talking with folks about what does bike parking look like. And it's interesting that (laughs) similar to the public space that already exists in downtown Plano, they do also have bike parking. And I've used it a number of times when I go up there for uh, meetings with city staff or other folks. It's a good kind of central location for folks who live much further north and I can just ride the train and take my bike and lock up there. But it's at the corner of an intersection. It it is a highly visible spot, which is sometimes one of the mistakes that folks make when they're putting bike parking in is they'll put it in the back of the building in the loading dock. But it, you know, it's just your typical U hookup where three or four bikes can fit. So we wanted to start this conversation. One of the thing, the other reason we did this was one of the things that staff talked about the issues in the downtown with the community, the retailers as well as the folks that visit is no one thinks there's enough parking. This is in every single community I work with, especially in these great walkable neighborhoods that were built before cars. We will never think there's enough parking. It's not Walmart. But the real crux of the issue is that we need to be getting people to these spaces without cars. And folks who live two blocks away should not have to drive. And folks that live a quarter mile away should not have to drive either. Like that's a perfect bike ride for the family. So whatever we can do to really integrate the surrounding neighborhoods with our historic walkable downtowns or neighborhood commercial centers is essential. We need to find those folks living nearby, especially if you've got new high-rise apartments being built near these little economic centers. We need to make those people able to walk and bike over. So that was the conversation. I wanted to see what downtown visitors to downtown Plano were expecting and thinking about, especially since downtown Plano is built, well, DART, Dallas Area Rapid Transit, built a train station on right right at downtown Plano. So they are on a train station. I'm sure it's been a train station forever, but it is now a Dallas Area Rapid Transit station and it connects you to the entire Metroplex. You can take the train from downtown Plano to the airport. It'll take you forever, but you can. And it and it's a fairly good experience too, if you have a good book to read. So I, I really wanted to see what people's thoughts and feelings were about, you know, do we use downtown as a jumping off point to go visit the rest of DFW? What are the streets like to get to downtown Plano? Is it even practical to think that people would bike? And so what are where are those big issues that we can focus our time and attention on to fix this problem? And what I said earlier, what we really ran into was that folks didn't realize that it was possible to ride a bike downtown. And so the strategy that I've taken, especially with building this parklet that we've designed with the grant from the COG is to make bike parking the easiest, most beautiful, sexiest thing that anyone can imagine wanting to do. You've really just got to make it alluring. You know, you've You can't just tuck the bike parking away. You've got to make it just as visible and simple and straightforward and almost an experience the way valet parking is. 
You know, you've got valet parking in my little neighborhood commercial district. You enter the district from the main drag and the first thing you see is the valet parking. And then you've got all, you know, the posh, pretty people standing there waiting for their fancy cars. Like Dallas is such a see and be seen city. Like that becomes the experience that gives people an opportunity to seem cool, right? So we've got to create that for cyclists. Like why do we have to just park at the ugly youth things? We've got to have something that's beautiful and enticing and lovely and an experience. And not just because people want to Instagram it, but because we all want to feel special. And we all want to feel loved and we all want to feel like we're the coolest person in town because, you know, that's life. We're human. So that all of those conversations were in the back of my head when we put this parklet together. So we had our seating area. We had our places for people to sit and chat. We had our books for them to chat about. And then we had our bike parking and a couple of folks who came to the conference rode bikes. And that was really convenient to have that there. We also created another little moment in the downtown uh, next to their directory, which was right next to our parklet. We added a couple more potted plants and a pretty little art installation right on this walkway that led to the parking lot. And so the idea was let's create this center here where we feel the love, we feel the art and the beauty and the flowers and the attention. And there's something about all of that that tells us that this place is special and we want to linger here and we want to ask questions and figure out who these people are and what they're doing here and where the conference is. And, oh, this leads us to the parking lot. Oh, okay. This is a pretty place that's walkable and that, you know, oh, there is parking that's nearby. I don't have to park right in front. So that was part of the story as well. Yeah. And it was a pretty profound educational process in the sense that, hey, by the way, this on-street parking spot that is being taken up by a, uh, a bicycle parking installation, oh, and by the way, we can get easily 10 to 12 bikes into a single parking spot uh, for a, a car, a motor vehicle. And that perception, reshifting re that perception of, oh, there's not enough parking in downtown. Well, actually, as a matter of fact, <laughs> just a few steps down and around the corner past our little art installation that we, we installed, hey, there you go. There's where the parking garage is. It's right there for you. So a lot of it, it is, per, is perceptions and in, in helping lead people through uh, the potential of reimagining what their streets are for. I think, too, what you just mentioned is right on the money that often we think of the car as the customer. And I think it's essential to remember that the people are the customers. So the more people we can pack into the downtown and the easier it is for people to get there. And, and I think retailers often forget that. They think they, they someone needs to be able to park up front in their car. And people also need to be able to park on bikes and people also need to be able to walk there. And so many of these, especially historic downtowns, they were derelict two decades ago and no one wanted to be downtown. And so that it's hard sometimes most towns to knit that surrounding community back into the downtown because for whatever reason, the sidewalks are cracked and things haven't been paid attention to. And we need to give a lot of that focus to how do we get people walking and biking to the downtown? Not everyone can drive. Not everyone should have to drive. I've been really trying to talk to folks about our neighborhood little district where we're putting this parklet with bicycle parking in it. Talking to the neighbors about it is their privilege to be able to bike to downtown. Like, aren't you special? No one else gets to do this. You guys live close enough that you're the only ones who get this privilege. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Just a quick break in the action here for a couple of reminders. As always, I'll insert links in the show notes to the people, programs, and initiatives mentioned in this episode, as well as links to our Patreon and donation pages. If you're in a position to make a contribution, every little bit helps me in being able to continue bringing this content to your ears. Also, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on the listening platform of your choice. We're out there on all the major players. And finally, please do share within your network of friends, families, and colleagues as appropriate so we can grow the audience and this important movement to create a culture of activity. 
Okay, that's all for this little intermission. Let's get back to my conversation with Amanda Popkin. And you mentioned something earlier that I want to emphasize and 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 call out, and that is this concept of see and be seen and the normalization of walking and biking. And a fun way that you can do it is through this concept of cycle chic is, you know, you, you dress up a little bit and, you know, I know that you love doing this as you'll in the summertime or in the springtime, you'll have your, your sun bonnet on and you'll be in a nice, uh, you know, sundress or whatever, and jump on your little upright bike, which is a, a very much like a Dutch bike. Talk a little bit about that because it's very important for us to understand when we look at behavior is modeling the change that we'd like to see. And that normalizes the experience. People see Amanda, you know, riding down the the street or going to a a local hangout dressed up. And that, that sends an interesting message, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I want to touch too on this helmet discussion, because I think this is an important part of it because I have a lot of people tell me like, Oh, you don't want to wear a helmet because it's going to mess up your hair. And you know, I feel like it's more about the subtle messages that we're sending each other. It's not about what I look like, honestly. It's about the subtle message I'm sending someone that this is dangerous and that I need to be protecting myself. And the studies that I've read show that if I'm biking in a bright colored dress and beautiful heels with long flowing blonde hair, people are more likely to see me And they're more likely to think that I'm a vulnerable road cyclist and I need more space and I need to be cared for and watched after rather than thinking, oh, she's a road warrior. Let's see if we can ding her and get her off the road. You know, I I think it's a, a slightly different for men because there's a weird psychology there. And to be clear, you know, typically when you are, you know, dressed to the nines and you're heading, you know, out on your bike, you're, you're, you're riding in your local neighborhood area. You're not going out for a 20 or 30 mile ride. You're heading down to meet up with some friends and, and pay a visit to a a business, et cetera. So it's a different context. It's not like you're, you're going out for a long recreational ride. And that's the other subtle signal, like you're saying, is that this is something that you can do anytime, anywhere. You don't have to put a lot of thought into it. It's something that can seamlessly become part of your everyday life in a way that getting in your car becomes super easy and you you do it without even thinking about it. I'm kind of a strange bee. Many of us are these cyclists among us who have been cycling for decades, even though it's hard. Something about it, we like the challenge. We like to figure out a new route. We like to figure out how to carry more groceries on our bike. Or, you know, there's something lovely about kind of figuring out this new thing in life. But once you've got it down, once it, you know, someone tells you like, here, put a basket on the front and you don't have to carry a backpack, bring some extra water and just go slow as you need to and enjoy listening to the birds. And then it kind of puts you in a different mindset and you're like, oh, this is easy. I can bike two miles, especially if you live in a neighborhood where, I mean, when I picked my house, I was very intentional about finding a grocery store nearby, finding a rail station nearby, finding a park nearby. And I I wanted to arrange my life so that I didn't have to drive 30 minutes to get anywhere the way I did my entire life growing up. And, you know, I don't don't think most of us, most people in my life don't think that way. And I would say, unless you've had the experience of living somewhere where you don't have to drive 30 minutes to get anywhere, you don't understand what that feels like. And it's just hard to imagine. So once you see someone wearing a dress, riding a bike, it just opens up this whole new world of possibilities and ways of thinking about, it's all those subtle signals that you start to pick up about like, oh, where she looks like she's biking to work. She must be biking to drinks with her friends. I wonder, you know, what else goes into those decisions to make this as easy and seamless? And like, man, there's just so many beautiful benefits to that too. Like running into my neighbors and, and having chats with folks that maybe I hadn't seen in a while and I would not have run into if I was driving in a car. And there's just so many lovely things about the lifestyle of biking that I've heard other new cyclists talk about falling in love with this lifestyle. Years ago, gosh, it was probably 10 years ago almost, I realized that this like psychological aspect of 
seeing people dressed nice on bikes, you know, the cycle chic movement was moving across the world. And I knew that we needed that in Dallas. And so my sister and I started Dallas cycle chic, which it's funny, maybe just because we live in the South, people really thought like Dallas cycle chick, is this really for chicks? (laughs) We literally don't speak French. So um, we ended up changing it to Dallas cycle style. Also, they didn't allow us to talk about the helmet issue. And I felt like that was a really important conversation that we needed to have in Dallas because our city leaders were thinking about changing our helmet ordinance to not require people to wear helmets. And I thought that would that needed to happen if we were going to grow our cycling community. So we needed to have these conversations with people. So Dallas Cycle Style was born and I joined the Bike Friendly Oak Cliff, my neighborhood bike friendly group and started hosting events. We decided to model one of our big events after what they were doing in Germany to identify the what it, I forget what they call it, but it was something about the face of biking in Munich, I, I think was the city that they were doing it. And so we decided we were going to have a face of biking competition in Dallas. And we were going to hire as many photographers as we could get. I think we got seven the first year and 13 the second year and put them in strategic points that were very bike friendly and near, you know, different neighborhoods in Dallas and have people dress up in their own style and bike to the photo location, get their photo taken. Then we uploaded all the photos. We had judges. We went through all the photos. We picked our 30 favorite. I think we probably had 150 or 200 submissions the first year and like 300 the second year. And it was just really fun to see. We picked a nice variety of different types of cyclists and different styles. And then it was basically a popularity contest. I mean, people just like voted online, but that wasn't the point. The whole point was to get people to see people dressed up in different ways, but also to have their own experience. It gave them an excuse to think through all of those details. Well, how am I going to bike in my heels? I should practice. How does that work? How am I going to, how am I going to bike in a skirt? Do I need to like research how like to make sure, oh, it doesn't really fly up. Oh, okay, cool. Let's, you know, how am I going to carry my little bouquet of flowers? I need to research and find a basket. It just gives you a, that's the beauty of dress up fun events, right? You get to find a costume and like think through all the things beforehand. So we did that for a few years. Um, We also had the tweed ride in Dallas and we decided we needed a spring event. Everyone every year would say, oh yeah, we need tweed in the spring. So we decided we would do the seersucker ride, Dallas cycle style, put the seersucker picnic ride on um, two or three years in a row. And we would just meet downtown in our seersucker suits and dresses and bring our little picnics on our bikes. Oh my God, it was so much fun just trying to think of how to carry a picnic on your bike. You know, you got to get the special basket and you got to figure out what kind of picnic things you want. And we had so many dreams for, you know, how to blow this event up really big. And I've definitely had a lot of people ask over the years, you know, when are we going to bring back the the seersucker picnic ride again? So it, it might have a reprise, but if you Google Dallas cycle style, you'll see that we haven't really been active on it for <laughs> five or six years now. Well, hey, maybe uh, post-COVID-19. So I want to address the current situation and because what we're really seeing in cities around the nation and around the world is that people are rediscovering their streets again. You had mentioned that there's extreme amount of pressure on the trails and on the parks, but people are also starting to really rediscover their streets within their own neighborhoods. What are you seeing in in your neighborhood there in Oak Cliff? Yeah, I'm pretty much at home in our neighborhood a lot. And there are more neighbors than usual walking, but we live in an older neighborhood that was built around the 20s, give or take. And I mean, there are more people out walking dogs and running, but I would say in general, we have a lot of kids riding bikes. And that's what really drew me to this neighborhood is that it's really family friendly and people use the parks. So I would say in neighborhoods that have good infrastructure and have had good infrastructure for a while, there may not be as big of an increase. But I have friends that, you know, work in different parts of Dallas in essential businesses and have been saying in the more dense neighborhoods that there are more people than ever out and about. It's interesting in the Lakewood neighborhood that we were mentioning, a friend of mine was saying that it's crowded on the sidewalk, that you have gatherings of four and five people, you know, neighbors just stopping to chat and stuff, people using their chairs that have been sitting in the front lawn as decoration for the first time, (laughs) having wine and 
watching the neighbors walk by on the sidewalk. I think the most beautiful thing about this is that that this COVID-19 stay at home has really forced us all to spend more quality time with each other. And it's almost as though we've re-realized how important that is and how lovely it is to have time for that. Because of course we knew we loved it and we knew, you know, we like our neighbors and we have specific people that we love so much. And we usually have to prioritize our time in ways that don't allow us to just relax and see who walks by. That's one of my favorite things about gardening in my front yard is like all the random people that I end up meeting. Like one neighbor that lives down the street had just had knee surgery and was doing his physical therapy for a couple weeks in a row the week that I was gardening. And now every time I see him, I wave. And you know, those, those little, those moments that build better acquaintanceships over time are so essential to our daily life, just to feel like you belong, just to feel like you have another friend in the world. He's clearly not my best friend. And I don't like share my deepest, darkest secrets with him. But it does make me feel like I know my neighbors. And if I needed anything, I could definitely call on him. I would absolutely go to his house, Oscar, and be like, Oscar, can you help me start my car? Can you help me jump my battery? And those kinds of relationships, I think, are really essential. So it's it's just really beautiful that this stay-at-home order is, has reconnected us with the time to get to know each other and to sit outside and to listen to the birds and to, to be with our neighbors more. So I, I don't I would say there are some neighborhoods where because of the density and maybe the lack of green space, we're realizing that these premium spaces are premium because we don't really have any other options. The Katy Trail, I would say, was, is one of those. There are, there are a few lovely parks. Turtle Creek Park runs through that whole neighborhood and the Revachon Park. And there is just so much density in that neighborhood. And it's all grown up in the last like decade and that entire neighborhood now has high rises and it was all really low density single family homes until about 20 years ago. So I think, I I would guess that the other big lesson that we're learning in this pandemic is that green space is really important, that even a well-kept sidewalk can count as green space. And we have a severe lack of that in our country. I think there were already groups that were keying into that trying to track, we had just had a study in Dallas tracking parks to to make sure everyone in the city of Dallas, every resident has a park within a 10 minute walk. That seems pretty basic. And there are a lot of parts of town that don't have that. So I think those types of initiatives are going to gain more traction after this. I've listened to a couple of folks talk about, you know, how are we going to make our cities resilient for the next time that this happens? And who knows if we'll have this again, but we may have similar pandemics that cause us to enjoy the outdoors more and have more time to see our neighbors and maybe even rely on our social connections more. And where are we going to find our community rather other than our public spaces and our green spaces. So I really think that this is driving that message home for us as long as we can keep remembering that that this was a high priority for us, keep that in the forefront of our thoughts as we go forward and try to um, make new policy and, and think how to make our cities more resilient. Yeah. What are you working on currently or, you know, what has sort of come online in response to the, this pandemic? I really enjoy working with public officials, as I was saying earlier, and, and city staff to bring the community together on really important topics. It's interesting to me to see that even though everyone's in lockdown, some of these council committee meetings are not being held. You know, a lot of community meetings aren't being held. Things seem to be going business as usual at City Hall these days. It's just really interesting that there there are a lot of cool initiatives that were already in the works. And a lot of us want to stick to that timeline. I'm on the city's strategic mobility plan community advocacy group. No, (laughs) I'm trying to think of the really long name of it. Um, We are the community uh, appointees, overseeing this new mobility strategy. (laughs) So the city of Dallas has never had a mobility plan. We've always had a thoroughfare plan and, you know, different types of transportation plans, but not a comprehensive plan between incorporating all types of mobility. 
so this is huge for the city and that timeline, we need to stick to that timeline because this plan, whatever comes out of this plan needs to be incorporated into things that we're needing to make decisions on now. So that's just one example of something that appears that it may be skipping the transportation committee meeting to go straight to council for approval, which is really interesting to see things being fast-tracked at City Hall during this COVID-19 crisis that may or may not really have anything to do with COVID-19, but like life goes on and we've got to continue making our city better. Similarly, but very related to this COVID-19 pandemic, one of our council members has asked the community of small business owners, restaurants and retailers and developers to give input on what the city can do to change policies now so that when we are in the midst of needing to get everyone back online and build our economic development back up again, we'll make that process easier. So we've been looking into, actually, I've got my notes right here. I was just talking to a friend of mine who has lively local markets, and he has been doing markets all over DFW for a a good few years here and has a good grasp on things. And I was already thinking, you know, what can we do policy wise to open the red tape and allow open streets types events in neighborhood communities where we're all going to be excited to see our neighbors and have a beer together and just catch up on the last two months of life. And we're going to want to start supporting our local small businesses. So we've got a couple of really great historic walkable neighborhood centers in Dallas that are already our most popular districts. Those sidewalks are going to be too small for people. We need to make it really easy for us to shut down the road and allow neighbors to congregate and support these small businesses as much as we want to without having cars impede that. So I've been looking into, there were a couple other really interesting policies that my friend Harley was talking about in terms of special events approvals in the city of Dallas and the regulations that kind of determine if you need a special event permit or not. And For example, one of the things is we've got this neighborhood market designation that makes it really easy to do events frequently. There's a a limit on how many events you can do otherwise. And the stipulation is that 50% of your vendors must uh, sell produce. And it's really hard to find enough market vendors who grow their own produce or want to resell produce. And we encountered the same issue in a neighborhood, kind of a historically neglected neighborhood that was trying to bring themselves up with their bootstraps, you know, just really working to find local entrepreneurs, promote local entrepreneurs, get them to to grow with that incremental tactical mindset of here's a vacant lot. Let's throw a market every weekend. Let's allow people to fall in love with this barbecue that you make. Let's see if we can help you build uh, enough equity that you can buy a truck. And then if you have a truck, then maybe you can start doing bigger events. And then we were working to build an open air market space where we could have these vendors be under a shed and then start to slowly enclose some of those spaces and have more permanent spots. We'd thought through this entire process of just growing entrepreneurs locally and and giving them places to become business people rather than just trying to sell out of their home through their own small network. But this regulation was what we were really having a problem with. So we're looking into what exactly we need to change those policies to and looking at other cities' best practices. But also, interestingly enough, One of the regulations is about the number of policemen that you need at these events. And it really becomes cost prohibitive if you're closing down a couple of different blocks. So we're looking at uh, changing that to allow you to use private security or, I mean, really this special event permit is geared towards like a music festival, which needs a lot more security. You've got a finite number of people you can cram into that space for a finite amount of time. And markets, you know, are a much longer time period where people are coming and going frequently throughout the day. So it's a much different style of event and you need much fewer security guards and policemen. So we're looking into that. And then we're also looking into, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've already seen two businesses in my neighborhood close businesses that may have been struggling before COVID hit and they just threw up their hands. So I 
pray that a lot of these businesses are able to hang on. But even before this crisis, we had a lot of vacant retail space, newly built vacant retail space that was waiting to fill in. And I think the best thing that we could do to help bring our economy back online could really be to open up those spaces to short-term leases, to bring in our small entrepreneurs and really just give our local entrepreneurs an opportunity to thrive and to, you know, if folks have lost their jobs and they've been sitting at home knitting for two months, they may want to open a knitting store. I just use that as an example, but I've got a lot of neighbors who, you know, have been perfecting their side hustle the last few months. A good friend of mine is making the most amazing bread now, and we're all hoping he'll open up a bread shop, even though he's got a really successful interior design shop with his wife. So I think those types of policy changes could really do a lot in the direction that we were already moving, but in this time of crisis, when our economy, there may never be a day that we return to the way things were when this shut our entire world down. But I think the best thing we can do is rebuild it to be even better. That's a great way to put it is, you know, let's, let's take this opportunity to, uh, you know, come back even better, even stronger uh, find that opportunity to take these public spaces that have been dominated by motor vehicles and catered to it through policies uh, and be able to make it more people oriented, more people friendly. Amanda, what advice would you have for individuals who are like-minded to us that are out in these communities around the country, around the world that want to do something, want to, want to get active within their communities as, as these communities start to come back online, what advice do you have? Cause you've been doing this for, you know, quite some time. Yeah. About 12 years now, I would say know what you're good at because there's room for all of us with all of our different talents and we need people with different talents. For example, a few of the boards that I'm on, we are in great need of someone who does good graphic design and wants to put our newsletter out, you know? So it's not necessarily that you have to be doing the same thing that I'm doing, but you can give back in your own way. The other thing I always recommend is to get to know your council person. A lot of times they may be really similarly minded as you and may be just looking for some more advice or resources or, you know, just some more like-minded folks to chat with about these ideas that they're thinking. So it never hurts to just reach out and say, I, I'm having these thoughts about our neighborhood. I think I'd like to chat with you and, and hear your, you know, your Mr. Councilman, Mrs. Councilman, like your info and, and what are your insights on what we could possibly do for our neighborhood in these ways. And there's so many great resources out there. I know you listed a few of them on your podcast conversation with Mike Lydon, some of Streets Blog and CNU. There's some really great info and insights in there about like how to do these temporary projects and what is good urban design? There's so many more resources than when I started these types of projects way back when. Sometimes city staff are great allies. <laughs> so if you're feeling brave and you want to reach out to city staff, sometimes you can just Google who is in your economic development department or your city planning department. Sometimes the planners, they're more used to community outreach and they'll be nicer about entertaining all your random questions. So that might be a good place to start. But Definitely, there are people in city government who think about these questions a lot. And even if your town doesn't have the culture that is going to move with these ideas easily, you will find allies somewhere. So, so build your allies. Having allies from city staff and elected officials are always fantastic. But you can always find folks in the community who have similar ideas. There's lots of ways to reach out to folks, man, Twitter was a great tool back when we were starting our company just to find other like-minded people in our community. And we would just set up coffee dates and just chat about things and then follow each other on social media. So I know that's something that folks do a lot these days. And if I could interject, it sounds like you don't hesitate <laughs> when it comes to, to volunteering, getting engaged with some of the organizations that are out there of being willing to serve and, and, and give of your time. 
I think that's a fantastic way to learn too, when you're interested in something, just to like jump in and find a way to give back and be a part of the group and start becoming a part of the conversations. I didn't know much about the bike community. I just knew that I liked to bike and I thought it was good for my health and I wanted to do it more. And it's suddenly I find myself as a bike activist 12 years later, you know? So I think, yeah, volunteering is a great way to just meet like-minded individuals and, you know, like find your tribe. Like that's always fun too. Even if you don't really accomplish a whole lot, like you're, you're linking up with folks and having that intellectual community of support is so essential, especially when you feel like you're the only one in town who thinks like this, you've got to find your tribe. Yeah, well said. And I, I think that that's a wonderful place for us to wrap this up, unless you have any last burning things that we haven't covered. We have so many unemployed people now. This is what I'm really concerned about is how are we going to bring our economy back on board when we have people who don't have money to spend? And so I've been spending a lot of my kind of dream thought energy visioning how we want this to go. And I think for that reason, it will be even more important for us to have more biking and walking opportunities for people to get from their residences to these places where we want them to spend money so that they don't have to spend money on a car and gas and car insurance and all the things who don't go into our local economy. That's going to speed up economic development even faster. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important for us to take advantage of this opportunity to have a reset. It's a it's a really devastating thing that's happening and it's affecting so many lives and so many people are 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 really as you mentioned that they're unemployed and many of them are are actively uh, dealing with the virus and the and and the illness that comes with it or their family members or friends are are battling with that and dealing with that. But for the rest of us who aren't actively engaged in that, it's so important for us to take this inflection point in our lives and in our society to say, gosh, A, I need to get out of the house. I need to get outside. I need to get some fresh air and I need to to go for a walk or a bike ride or do some gardening. Uh, but but that's also part of, you know, an active town's message too, because it's getting outside, it's doing some active living, it's working, it's doing some stuff because you're not able to have your normal routines. So we do hope that as we get past this pandemic and we're able to resume some normal operations, we're going to be able to hold on to some of these aspects that we are starting to enjoy and appreciate clearer skies, being able to hear the birds, having improved relations and enhanced sociability with our neighbors, enhanced neighborliness. Hopefully we'll be able to hang on to those. Amanda, thank you so very much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you, John. As always, uh, we're such kindred spirits and um, I hope we touch base again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Amanda Popkin. She is truly a force of nature for safer, more inviting, all ages and abilities environments which promote vibrant communities. Please don't hesitate to drop me a line if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics. You can reach me at john at activetowns.org. Well, that's all for now. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Cheers.